0: Hello there and welcome to Community Live. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Jamie Langsko, a sucker for domains, a mom of three daughters, an Oxford comma data privacy and community enthusiast, consultant and advisor. So hello, Jamie.
1: Hi, Yuri, thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm super excited. And tell me please, how many domains do you have?
1: Oh, gosh, I think my list is around 20 now. I just think of new ones and I'm like, oh, that would be a great project. I better grab it now before someone gets it and then it sits there.
0: <laughs> what is the most exciting one?
1: Um, I think the most exciting one that I haven't started building yet is uh, called Community Builders Guild. And I am thinking about a way to... Take advantage of all of our strengths in community building, and find a way to make our profession stronger. Uh, to bring the right skills to the right people to the right jobs. Um, so that's a that's a concept I've been playing around with in my head, and I have registered the domain for that one. <laughs> but uh, the other one that I'm working on right now is is Facshift.io, and that is my new consulting agency name. Um, And so I am in the process of standing up my website and also trying to build my business at the same time. So it's a whole new world for me.
0: (laughs) Do you have any domains uh, which are not connected to work or community, like maybe some hobbies?
1: (laughs) I have uh, Scouts. So my kids are in uh, Scouts BSA. Formerly Boy Scouts, but uh, both my kids are girls. So they are in the, one of the few all girls troops uh, that is in our area. And so I own a couple of domains for them uh, where I try to help them out with getting their website going and having it all look nice and professional so that other scouts want to join them as well. So I do have a couple of them for, for the troop.
0: So do they do it or you are doing all this stuff for them?
1: That's a good question. So a lot of the work they are supposed to do themselves, um, what we try to do is follow something called the edge method, which is, uh, gosh, I'm going to mess this up. It is educate, (laughs) demonstrate, guide, and enable. And what we need to do is give them the foundation of learning so then they can try it. They can learn it enough so that they can teach it to others uh, who can then do it for themselves. And so it's this really learning-centered program that is designed to be run by the kids. And so I help them with the more technical stuff and kind of getting them set up. And then uh, my eldest right now is actually webmaster for the troop. She's 14, and uh, so she's learning about things like very basic HTML and some design concepts. Uh, she she pulled up their initial site uh, from the vendor they're using and was like, oh, we have to do something about this. This needs to go here, this needs to go there. And so it was neat to see her kind of using her intuition yeah. before having any formal training on UX concepts. So. It's, it's a neat experience for both the kids and the parents.
0: Okay, so let's start from the beginning. So, tell me about your parents, who are they? <laughs> uh,
1: my parents are both former mid-level exec, mid-management type people. Um, my dad was a, a project manager at AT&T for a long time, um, and my mom ended up doing a lot of work in education. She would do uh, mostly purchasing, so she'd work for the school district and eventually at some big colleges and universities. Um, They have retired now and they are living about an hour and a half away from us and, you know, doing their best to live their life. They're really big on dog agility, so they do a lot of Stuff with their border collies and travel to tournaments and things like that. So they're they're doing their thing.
0: <laughs> did they start doing it after retiring, or they were doing it before too?
1: They did it a little bit before. I think they really got into it when us kids moved out of the house. So it was like, oh, because my brother and I used to do a lot of sports and we were into all kinds of stuff. And so as soon as we left, I imagine their schedule was suddenly clear and they thought. Well, now what do we do? (laughs) So they got dogs and they got into agility. And now they're still traveling to sporting events every weekend or so. And instead it's for their furry children instead of their human children.
0: (laughs) Did they travel with their human children to sport events?
1: We did. We did. I think the furthest uh, was probably my brother. And I think they went to Hawaii for a tournament. Um, from California. Uh, but yeah, we did we did a lot of fun family trips when I was a kid. We did a lot of car trips, which my kids can't stand. They hate being in the car. <laughs> um, but we, we did a lot of just traveling around the US when I was a kid.
0: Do you remember one trip, like the most of the most? What What was the best of the best trips you've ever had?
1: We went on a trip, uh, through the Pacific Northwest, but also into like Yellowstone national park and through Boise. And I do remember that trip. I don't recall how old I was. I was probably maybe 12, 13. Um, so I was old enough to do things and explore things, but young enough to still be fascinated by the world. And, um, I just, I, it made such an impression on me that when I was looking for a place to move, uh, the first places I looked were Boise and like Northern Idaho and kind of those rural mountainy areas, which is how I ended up in Bend, frankly.
0: <laughs> ah, so basically your trips influenced your future, let's see. Yes, yes. And do you know how did your parents meet?
1: I believe they met in college. So my dad was a master's student. He was also doing some teaching at the time at the university and they were in a class together and they got stuck on a project together, I think. And my mom wanted nothing to do with him at first. And she was like, you are weird and crazy and I don't want anything to do with you. And my dad was like, we're going to get married someday <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, here they are. What? Oh, gosh. When did they get married? 79, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so we're now what? Almost 50 years later, 45 years later. So obviously he knew what was going on there.
0: <laughs> Why did she call him weird and crazy?
1: I don't know. I think he he and his brothers were kind of like hippies and, uh, you know, he had gone and traveled around Europe with his buddy and in a VW bus and (laughs) they did a lot of exploring and adventure stuff. And she was, uh, so my mom's family is um, half Japanese, half Caucasian. And uh, she was raised in a more traditional conservative like she was more sheltered <laughs> it was very you know you go to school you behave you be a good kid you don't do anything you don't break the rules any of that stuff whereas my dad was and his family is like german english european uh i, I say we're european mutts because we, we we have a little bit of everything um and They did the more rambunctious, big European family gatherings for holidays and just trying things out, experimenting, pushing boundaries, you know, going on adventures. And so he did a lot of traveling and um, he just had a very different perspective on the world than I think she was used to. Plus, he was he was quite a bit older than her, too. So uh, he, I think, just was being him. And she was kind of overwhelmed by this, uh, this spirit, this energy that, uh, that he put out in the world. So, yeah.
0: How does it feel to have many uncles while growing up?
1: Um, it was really neat when I was growing up. Um, when my grandmother passed, there was a lot of trouble within the family on how to deal with everything. Um, and we stopped having all of our big gatherings and we stopped getting together in the same way that we used to. And, you know, it really highlighted the fact that my grandma was the glue between everybody, you know, she was the bringer together of everyone. And when we lost that, I didn't, feel as connected to my uncles anymore, but I got closer with my cousins. And so having the ability to then, you know, rebuild that connection was really important, especially because on my mom's side, um, I have an amazing aunt, but I have no cousins. I, there's, you know, when my grandparents go, it's just going to be my mom and her sister. And mm-hmm. so on my dad's side, you know, I've got the, the three brothers and their kids. And so I think there's eight of us on the cousins and then all of their kids and our kids. And so we're kind of rebuilding that foundation. So it's um, it's really great to have them. And I've kind of reconnected with my uncles now as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I think I, I'm closer with my cousins than my uncles.
0: Do you live close
1: to each other? We don't anymore. We used to. Um, my cousins all live down in um, kind of central California area, Modesto area, um, and so we are a good uh, eight hours away from each other driving. Um, and then my uncles both moved up to Montana, so they are a good ways away from us as well. So it's it's tough, but it was honestly, when I got married a couple of years ago, it was great to have them all come together again and kind of just have everybody reconnect and spend time together, and and that was really nice.
0: And what did you love the most about those family gatherings?
1: I think it was just the feeling of there was no pressure to be or do anything everyone was welcome um and my grandma was very much the person who would always offer like you don't have a place to go you come over to our house we're having a big gathering so we'd have you know friends neighbors i would meet all these random people at those gatherings and it was just this big chaos energy there were so many people in this house and no one felt pressured to act a certain way or have a certain role. It was kind of a a potluck situation. So people would bring a bunch of food and yeah, it was, it was great because it was just enjoying being with each other. And that was really lovely.
0: Do you have any thoughts about reviving those meetings?
1: Um, yes. I think uh, the fact that we're all so spread apart now makes it really hard. Um, we've talked, my cousins and I have talked a bit about doing more family reunion type stuff. So instead of trying to do every year holiday get together, maybe doing something more like, okay, every couple of years, you know, we'll plan a big camping trip with everybody or something like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I'd love to. <laughs>
0: So you have a brother. What kind of sister are you?
1: Oh, I am. I'm definitely the overprotective big sister mom figure. (laughs) Um, He and I are three and a half years apart and he just got married uh, back in September and I got to be a part of his wedding and that was really amazing. but his relationship has evolved over the years, as it does. Uh, he graduated um, from San Jose State and has always, ever since then, had this dream of owning his own business, and I think he's been pushed into so many things over the years as far as what other people, especially you know, parents and significant others and all that expected of him, and he is now doing really good on track to do what he wants to do um he's not there yet but he's got this amazing wife and you know i just do my best to not be overbearing as the older sister and just be kind and friendly and supportive and be there when they need me but also not you know inject myself into things too much. So I'm very proud of him. That's, I would say I'm, I'm a proud big sister. That's what kind of sister I am.
0: (laughs) Tell me one childhood story about sister and brother.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, I could embarrass him, but maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have memories of when he was three years old, two or three. And I was playing out in front with my friends. And so keep in mind, I'm probably seven at this time. And uh, I think my mom was giving him a bath or changing him or something. And he just comes bolting out of the house butt ass naked and just like running around the yard and my mom's trying to catch him. And it was just this crazy, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember it just being <laughs> hilarious. Like my friends and I were just busting up laughing, rolling on the ground. And like, that's that's the kind of person my brother is. Like he is smart, but he is also clever and funny. And just, you know, he brings great energy to the room. And so that that one always sticks out to me as one of the funniest things I remember from our childhood.
0: <laughs> Do you meet frequently nowadays?
1: Um, not as much as I would like. We talk. Um, he, he just texted me yesterday. Uh, so we talk on the phone or text and neither one of us is super good about staying in touch regu- like consistently, but we, we try to reach out to each other pretty frequently especially when things get hard or um you know one of us is struggling with something we are the people that we reach out to for that support you
0: you told a little about expectations from parents so did your parents had have uh, high expectations for you and your brother
1: yeah i mean it's funny because now raising my own kids i'm a different kind of parent than i Thought I would be. Um, my parents always pushed us, but not in a way that was toxic. You know, we we achieved because they were things that were important to us and they instilled those values in us. So for me, it was actually for both of us, it was never a question if we were gonna go to college. Of course, we were gonna go to college. What, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're gonna go to college, you're gonna get good grades, you're gonna do something productive with your life. And that was never a conversation we even had to have. It was just expected, um, which was fine. I mean, it worked, that worked out for both of us. But I think that for my brother, they really pushed him to be an athlete. And we kind of got pushed into these odd, um, I don't know, boxes that, you know, oh, Jamie's the smart one and, and he's, the, he's the athlete. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I play varsity sports too. How come I don't get to be the athlete? And meanwhile, he's going, wait, I'm smart. What are we, what are we talking about right now? But I think that those expectations kind of influenced how the paths that we took. And I think it, it, eventually most people, I hope, kind of get to the place where they're starting to guide their own destiny Um, And I think that's where he and I both are now, but I definitely think that uh, it set us off on a certain path, at least initially.
0: And are you always right with your kids?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. You ask my 13 year (laughs) old, she'll tell you that. Even when mom's wrong, she's right, obviously. i it's interesting because this is a, a a point that my husband and i actually don't agree on um he was brought up in a very sort of conservative you listen to your parents you don't ask questions you don't question things you just do as you're told kind of environment and my parents talked to me like i was an adult from even when i was young and I had to be responsible for my own decisions, which meant I had to think about my own decisions and be critical of what the situation was, understand why they were telling me to do something. And so I asked a lot of questions and my 13 year old is the same way. And it drives him up the wall because she will, (laughs) he'll tell her to do something and she'll say, why? Or wouldn't it be better to do it this way? Or I was thinking I'd do it this other way and it makes him bonkers. He can't handle it. He's just like, just do it. Just do what I said. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times where as a mom, I'm like, I do not have the energy to explain this to you right now. I need you to just, just go, just do it, do the thing. Um, but a lot of times I try to at least give her some context for why I'm asking her to do something or why the way I'm telling her to do it is actually the right way. Because I think that's our job, right? As parents is to to help them learn. But yeah, <laughs> it's a challenge, especially now that they're teenagers.
0: <laughs> what was the hardest debate you had recently maybe?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. I think, well, firstly, middle school is so hard, especially for girls. It is really, really rough. You're going through all of these very visible physical changes, and you're dealing with peers who are also struggling, so they're all kind of lashing out at each other and being cruel to each other, and getting them, both my older girls, getting them to understand that this is so temporary and that the challenges they're facing right now are so short term and so we have been doing our best to try to navigate all of this you know everybody in the house has and um you know i I have one kid who's struggling with her gender identity i have uh you know we've been trying to figure out what the best schooling situation is for them it's Middle school is tough, man. Both for parents and for kids. Yeah. Um, so I think the hardest thing recently has probably been trying to navigate as a parent who is supportive and you know open-minded and accepting of my children as they are to kind of navigate the changes that, especially my one daughter is going through where she's trying to figure out who she's going to be and like how, trying to figure out how how much do I just accept what she's telling me as, you know, this is what it is. How much do I help her kind of contextualize her feelings um, with puberty and all of those changes? Like, yeah, of course you don't feel right in your skin right now. Nobody does at this age. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, remind her that I love her so much and that nothing that she does, whether she's a she or a they or a he or whatever she ends up landing on, it's not going to matter. I'm going to love her anyway. But I also don't want her to change anything permanently that just because she's having a temporary feeling. Um So that, I think, has been the hardest thing that I've been navigating recently.
0: Do your children tell you everything?
1: For the most part, yeah. Uh, We have a very open communication channel and it has been... I mean, it's not easy sometimes. Sometimes it's very challenging to get them to remember that, you know, no matter what you're into, what kind of trouble you're having, how you're feeling like we need to process those feelings and help you deal with that problem. And does that mean you're not going to get in trouble? If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, like there's going to be consequences, but they're going to be way less bad than if you lie to me or you hide things from me. Like we have to have that open communication. And I did it. I really reinforced that when they were younger because I knew that when they got to be teenagers and their, their actions had more tangible consequences or more long-term consequences, it was gonna be so important that we have that foundation. So I would say, yeah, my, my kids, for the most part, I think tell me everything. Will it always be that way? No, but for now. <laughs> you never know,
0: you never know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true
0: tell me the story behind mario wall decals.
1: Ooh. Uh so I have uh <laughs> my very first tattoo was oh, a wow. Super Mario Brothers one-up uh you know bonus life mushroom. It's a green mushroom on my foot and it hurt so bad. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was literally sitting in this chair just sweating because the top of your foot has nothing really between the skin and the bones. And meanwhile, this guy is sitting next to me in the chair and he's some Marine dude and he's getting his bicep done. And I'm like, I'm just trying not to either throw up or cry. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm just like trying to breathe through it. And he looks over at me and he goes, oh, come on, it's not that bad. And I'm just like... (laughs) dude you are getting the meatiest part of your arm done right now don't talk to me (laughs) but um i don't know nintendo and especially super mario brothers super Mario brothers 3 is the best game i'm just saying um they played a really big part of my childhood just it's i mean mario came out when i was born the year i was born um and when i like we used to go to daycare after school and things like that and i always remember you know we'd play on the super nes you know you had to blow out the cartridges and put them in the yeah um and that was just kind of a through line it's been a consistent thing throughout my life is my connection to games gaming um i would not say i'm like a hardcore gamer but it's definitely something that has uh, just been stable through all the changes I've been through in my life. So when I found these Super Mario Brothers, uh, decals, wall decals, I was like, oh, these have to go in my office. My office is like, I I will take some pictures when it's not so messy, but it is this shrine to all things nerdy and, (laughs) uh, gaming and anime and, you know, I have a bunch of Miyazaki, uh Studio Ghibli type pictures up and all kinds of stuff. So, I'm trying to make it my little like she cave in the house.
0: So, tell me more. Why did you choose exactly that tattoo?
1: Ooh. Um so initially I was thinking about I always for some reason I decided I needed a foot tattoo. That was like that was the first decision and I don't know why, but It's what I decided. I was, you know, 18, I didn't know things. (laughs) Um, And initially I wanted, I knew I wanted something that represented life and I was going through a lot of depression and, and really just starting down the path of really getting deep into depression. And I knew that I wanted something that would keep me grounded and that would remind me of life. And so initially I was doing something that, you know, I would do a lot of sketching and stuff like that. So I was sketching out something like vines or something like that growing up my foot, kind of like, you know, when I am grounded with the earth, the life comes up into me. And um, I don't know how it became a Mario brothers thing, but I was like, you know, this doesn't feel that personal. I really need to pick something personal. You know, you get a lot of pressure on yourself when you're getting your first tattoo. And so I finally just was like, you know what? I can mesh these two things together and I'm gonna pick a one-up mushroom and that's just gonna be where we start.
0: (laughs) I know the saying that if you have one one tattoo, you'll definitely do more. So how many tattoos do you have?
1: I only have three right now. I definitely have ideas, but I have a big one on my calf that it, that I got in Hawaii. It's a, a series of sea turtles and like a big wave. Um, and then I have one on my arm that says, not until we lose everything are we free to do anything. And some people will recognize that as a quote from Fight Club. But it is also something that was very... <laughs> Important to me as I went through my first divorce, um, it was something that I had to think about. Like, you know what? I'm doing this so that I can get a better life for myself, a better life for my kid. Um, and so, you know, my my tattoos have all been very personal. I do want to get like a big ass dragon or something someday. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> but they are super addictive, and they are. It's a very expensive habit. So. <laughs> I have advice, I have advice for people, like get to know your artist, spend time with them, uh, check out their profile, get them to actually sketch something for you. Don't go in and pick something off the wall. Like, (laughs) don't let them stick you with The Apprentice either. (laughs) Because I had to have the one on my arm redone three times because the person who did it was like, not filling it in properly. And so it had like gaps.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a That's hard good. experience to have. <laughs> yeah. So is this big dragon is the next idea or what is the next idea for the tattoo?
1: Probably, I'll probably do something with a dragon. Um, my 13-year-old is super into fantasy and magic and stuff too. So her and I probably will get something someday when she's older, you know, maybe we'll get matching tattoos or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds super nice. Yeah. And what is the first thing you do when you get into a hotel room?
1: Ooh, good question. I turn the air conditioner on. <laughs> I, I well, I lock all the doors. That's the very first thing. And then I, I turn on the air conditioner because <laughs> it's always too hot in those rooms.
0: Okay. And what is the next thing you do?
1: The flop on the bed? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I usually am so spent by travel by then that I just am like, blah. Take off clothes, lay in bed, let the air conditioning blow on me, maybe take a shower because I need to wash all the travel off me. But yeah, that's pretty much. And then I will go around and I will like video call my husband and my kids and be like, look at this fancy hotel I'm in, suckers.
0: Are you an honest feedback giver?
1: I think so. I think it's hard for me to always be entirely honest because I have this tendency to be brutally honest. And I don't think that's required, but I think it's my natural tendency. And so I've kind of overcorrected where I'm like, okay, how do I say this nicely? And how do I not make you hate me? <laughs> you know. Um, but I really do try to be at least constructively honest and uh, give give feedback that I think will help people products services etc improve um, and I try to also give the context of like I want us both to succeed I think you're great here's how I think it could be better um, and so that's that's kind of been my approach but I wouldn't say that I feel super comfortable with it, especially as a manager. So when I'm giving people direct feedback about their performance, that's always harder.
0: Are you always given given feedback or are there any, I don't know, moments where you're like, okay, maybe I won't.
1: I think one thing I've learned in the last couple of years is that the context that a person is in at any given time, really dictates how they can hear your feedback and if somebody is already upset and in crisis and you know not really open to hearing anything if you give them feedback in that moment not only are they not going to hear you so you're going to be frustrated but if they do hear you it will be received in a much more negative way than if you can kind of break things up a bit so, I think there's also times when, like, I have to ask, I have one of these guiding questions for myself that I often ask other people. And I ask my kids this a lot What do you want out of this interaction? What is the ideal outcome for you? And whether that's, you know, posting on an internet forum or having an argument with your sibling or giving feedback. Um, what do I want to happen and how do I best achieve that? And if the answer is, you know, I'm really not invested in this. And for example, if you're unhappy at a job, at some point you stop giving feedback because you stop caring if they get better, right? Because you know that it's not something you're invested in anymore. I think at that point, that's when I would stop. And I would just say, you know what, nothing is going to change. And I have to accept that and now decide what I'm going to do with that knowledge.
0: What did you feel when your dog Cooper ran away?
1: Oh, that was horrible. So we came home. Well, first we had a really rough time getting home. We had traveled uh, to Texas to visit family. And we had a hard time getting home. It was when a bunch of flights were getting canceled because of snow in my area. Um, and so we went through like three flight cancellations and having to rebook and everything. Finally, I decided, you know what? We're just going to fly into San Francisco and drive home, which is about a nine hour drive. <sighs> but I was like, we have to get home because our dog sitters are leaving town today. So we don't have a choice. We have to get home so that we can take care of the dogs. And... Um, Then we found out once we got home that we all had COVID. So then we were all just wrecked. Um, And we got home too late to go to any grocery stores because we got home on Christmas Eve. So everything was closed. So we had no food. All the restaurants are closed. The grocery stores are closed. We had been gone for almost two weeks. And so we had nothing in the house. And it was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And so we obviously managed something. I think I made I don't know something frozen <laughs> out of the freezer. I was like, oh look, we have something to eat. Here you go. <laughs> um and so we we had a few days to recover and then the whole time Cooper had been acting really weird. And he's always kind of strange. He's always been very skittish and I mean, we got him during the pandemic, so he hasn't had really a lot of exposure to other people, other dogs. And and we were gone for almost two weeks. And so for him, that was very nerve-wracking. And um, so when we got back, he was acting weird. and uh, And then the dogs all ran up our hill and he didn't come back. And that's very abnormal for him. He's normally the one that kind of stays around the house. And so we were all... Like, well, he'll come back at some point and he didn't. And so we went up and looked for him. Um, Now keep in mind, I live on almost 11 acres and it's almost vertical, (laughs) like it's, it's complete hillside. And so I take the kids in the dark up the hill, you know, we've got flashlights, we've got headlamps on, we're out there calling him, we're yelling for him. We don't see any sign of him. And behind us is public land. And so it's all, you know, trees and wilderness too. And so we're like, he could be anywhere. And so we go back home, he doesn't come back. Next day goes by, he doesn't come back. We go look out in the daylight, can't see any sign of him. Six days goes by and every day we're like out walking in the hill, walking the, you know, cliffs behind us, everything. And on the sixth day, um my husband and I went outside to grill and we heard barking and we were like, that's weird. That's coming from up the hill. There's nobody, there's no houses behind us up the hill. There's houses down in the valley below us. We're used to hearing dogs down there, but this was different. And it was like, okay, you need to go up and see if that's Cooper. (laughs) And I told my husband. And so him and my eldest and Cooper's her dog, uh, they, Drew their boots on they got flashlights, you know, my husband took his rifle and they went up the hill and they kept following him and he kept barking and so they followed the sound all the way back onto the property way behind us. um, Where somebody had put traps out and he was stuck in a trap for six days with his foot pinched in like a cougar trap and uh, we think that somebody must've been feeding and giving him water, Uh, but he probably wouldn't let them get close to him. And so they were just like leaving him something to eat, something to drink, because otherwise there's no way he would have made it for six days. And we had like record snow during that week too, and cold weather during that week. And so it was really scary, but uh, he's home now. And this dog, so, the traps that they use they're just like they close on them they don't they don't have like teeth
0: Hmm. so it
1: just cut off circulation to the bottom part of his foot and so we were worried he was going to lose his foot um but he's been going through all kinds of like we had to do like laser treatments and stuff for his foot to like get the circulation going again and clear off all the dead stuff and well it's been a whole thing but yeah He's recovering. So we are immensely relieved.
0: (laughs) I can only imagine. Like, wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, by six days, I thought, God, either we're going to find him dead or somebody has him. And so it was heartbreaking because my my daughter was just like a mess. She didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to go anywhere. She just wanted to stay here and look for her dog. And it was so hard to not be able to tell her what else we could do
0: yeah tell me about your chickens
1: (laughs) ah so my chickens are downsized tremendously right now they we used to have over 150 chickens uh my husband wanted to sell eggs and kind of make a business out of it we did our taxes last year and it was like, nope, <laughs> we, we are losing a ton of money on these things. Sell them all, get rid of them. <laughs> and so we have only four left now. Um, we had three turkeys at one point. Uh, they were amazing, um, ridiculous birds, but they were really fun to have. Um But I mean, we kept losing them also to coyotes and we have a bunch of hawks and eagles in our area too. And so they would just come and snatch them and fly away with them. So yeah, it was, it was rough, but I think it was really good for my kids to have the experience of having animals, raising them. I mean, we went through baby chicks. uh, So yeah, we're, we're down to four now, which is perfect just for our household and no more like, Chicken poop everywhere and chaos. It's it's a good number.
0: <laughs> so basically, you keep them only for your needs.
1: Now we do, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we did we did meat birds. We raised meat birds. Um, it, it's been an experience, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I I can't even imagine 100 or 150 chickens. Like it's I don't know how many. It's like a
1: lot. Yeah. Well, and it was wild because they, they always say, you know, oh, these are, we've checked them. They're, they should be all female. And we ended up with probably half a dozen roosters um, (laughs) of all different breeds. And it was like, all right, so which roosters do we keep? (laughs) Um, But it was funny to watch all of their personalities because we had so few of the roosters that we could actually tell them apart. The hens, we just had so many. We didn't name them or anything. They just got numbers, and uh but our roosters had some crazy personalities we had one um that we called derpy because he was a jersey giant which is like a big black chicken um and he's supposed to have these long beautiful tail feathers and they would like peck at each other especially the hens would like annoy the roosters they'd come by and like pull feathers off of them and stuff so he never grew in his full tail he had like three or four straggly long feathers that would stick out. And so he was, he was cool though. He was a cool rooster. Um, And then we had one that was a Polish crested, which is one of the ones that has like the crazy feather head situation, looks like he's got a fro. So he Mm -hmm. was funny because we thought he was female at first until he started crowing. And then we were like, oh, Okay, that makes sense why he's not laying eggs. (laughs) So yeah, we had, and his name was actually Queen Mary. Because we thought he was a girl and the other chickens kept pulling his crown feathers out. And so we're like, oh, everybody's trying to steal his crown. (laughs) So he just kept the name. He was just Queen Mary forever. But yeah, chickens are fun. They're a mess, but they're fun.
0: And who was the alpha rooster?
1: Ooh, good question. Uh, we had one that was this really burly gold rooster. And he was our very first one. And he actually died defending one of his hens wow. from an eagle. No way. Uh, yeah, and the hen survived. But he got eaten um and so it was wild but he was our original like alpha rooster and then i think later derpy really became just the default alpha just because he was the oldest and the biggest yeah but i don't think his personality was quite there i think he was just like i just want my little pack of hens over here and like y'all can do whatever you want over there i don't care (laughs) like just leave me be
0: (laughs) do you like animated movies I do. What is your
1: favorite one? Oh, good question. I have so many. It's like when people ask me what kind of music I like. I'm like, Uh, I I like all the music. Um, I really like a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies, uh, Spirited Away, Kiki's Delivery Service. I like all of those movies. Um, Favorite Disney movie, top of my list is probably Alice in Wonderland. Um, And then more recently, I really love Moana and uh, yeah, um, Frozen. I loved Frozen. I will watch Frozen any day of the week.
0: <laughs> my, name, my name is Olaf. I like warm hugs. Yes. So. <laughs>
1: yes. Yep. So I mean, I have three girls. We definitely went through the Disney princess thing.
0: <laughs> what is your favorite My Little Pony character?
1: Ooh, Twilight Sparkle. No hesitation Why? there. <laughs> Um, I think it's because she, I I relate to her a lot, like she's smart and she knows book knowledge, but she really struggles with people relationships and like, I've, I've been there, you know, I, I laugh because so many community managers, I think identify as, uh, um, introverts and I definitely did not consider myself an introvert when I was younger. But I think as I've gotten older, I've realized like, it really takes work to maintain relationships with people and to just have the energy you need to like, engage and give people back what they're giving you. And so I think, um, I don't know, for me, she just, well, for one, she's the leader. I'm, I've always been an alpha personality um but also you know magic plus she gets wings later like come on
0: <laughs> who, who do, she's who do an allicorn,
1: you know yeah. she's got wings and a unicorn horn
0: <laughs> like combo totally yeah agree. yeah <laughs> and you told that you thought that you were extrovert before so are you more an introvert type now
1: i think I always have been, I just never recognized it. Like I, I'm super high energy when I'm with people and then I think I burn it all out. And then I go back to my hotel room where I go home and I'm just like, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to, when I worked at SAP, we had annual tech ed conferences and they were in Barcelona, Las Vegas, and in India and in Bangalore. And um, I remember going to the Barcelona one and my daughter was, my youngest was still nursing, I think. And so as it was, my body was going through weird stuff. And I remember getting to the end of one of the conference days and having my boss be like, you have to come out with us. That's, that's part of the job here. And I'm like, I have been on the conference floor for 12 hours. I have, I have done 25,000 steps today. Like (laughs) I am dead now. Call me tomorrow. (laughs) I am going to bed. (laughs) It's just like, I don't know if I'm just too old for this shit or I just don't have enough left in my tank to do the socializing part at this point. But like, I am tired. (laughs) I'm going to bed now. Good night. (laughs) And you know, it's like, I can, I can do the work. I can put in the energy. I can, and I love, you know, I love my friends and I love our community. The community manager community is amazing. But I think a lot of us suffer from this where it's like I spend all day putting myself out there. And by the end of the day, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like, I don't have anything left. I just want to go and like cuddle up with a book, <laughs> and like, or whatever you know, audiobooks, um, and and just like have downtime now. I need to recover. And I think extroverts are are people who get energized by being around people. And I'm like, no, I have to spend energy to appear energized <laughs> when I'm around people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting learning about myself.
0: Yeah, but I feel it's totally okay unless you are a Pinkie Pie,
1: you know. Right. Well, even Pinkie Pie, you know, every once in a while, she has her down days where her hair doesn't curl anymore. It just gets flat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but well, it's mostly when is disappointed about something, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Pinkie Pie is definitely an extrovert. Uh yeah. There are times. There are times when I'm super excited to go be with people and do things and most of the time I'd just rather be at home.
0: Did you have did you have did you ever have this uh conversation with your husband like when he like, "Hey, talk to me." And you're like, "No, I'm tired. I'm I'm talk I'm talking to you tomorrow."
1: It really bothers him, I think, that I don't like to talk on the phone as well. Where you know, even so last night he took our eldest to her scout meeting and I was so exhausted by the end of the day yesterday that I went to bed early. And so by the time they got back, I was already asleep. And he comes in and is like trying to debrief me basically on what <laughs> happened at this meeting. And I'm just like, I'm sleeping. <laughs> Please. No, like, let's talk tomorrow. I know. Go away. And he's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> I told him when we first started dating that like sleep comes first, then everything else. <laughs> like I, You have to let me recharge or I am a mess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just really fun. And what is your soul emoji right now?
1: Hmm... I really like the one with the face that's, like, melting into the ground. Like, that's how I feel a lot of times. (laughs) Like, everything's fine.
0: (laughs) So is it kind of good emoji or like, oh, I'm tired, I'm going down? Or what does it mean for you?
1: uh, It's kind of like that meme with the dog where the whole office is burning and he's going, Ah, this is fine. That's, that's kind of how I read that one.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because you previously shared on Twitter, like my soul emoji used to be like smirking face, then mm-hmm. it was face with peeking eye, and then like this face. So yeah. why do you think it changed? Like what happened?
1: Uh, I feel like as we mature and as we go through more things, the way that our brain naturally responds to situations changes. And so I still think I'm sarcastic and easily annoyed by things that I think are stupid or poorly done or inefficient or (laughs) all of those things. But I think that I deal with it in a different way. And so I think, you know, a while back, I would have just been like, whatever you know and now I think it's more like put on the smiley face and yep this is fine and everything's fine <laughs> but uh, I mean I even my newsletter that I launched a while ago I called it the salty avocado because you know avocado is something that dev advocates still get the the joke but um <laughs> I, my kids were like oh you should call it the angry avocado and I was like I'm not angry I'm just salty <laughs> like I I I'm just like, okay, can we stop? Can we stop doing this like this anymore? Like, there's a better way. Let's do it a better way. (laughs) So yeah, I would say that's, it's just an evolution of who I am and how I process things that are kind of questionable, frustrating, challenging, you know, anywhere that I run into friction, I would say.
0: I had before a conversation with Pat Cooney and he told that I'm becoming more and more sarcastic the more I know you. So are you sarcastic with everyone or the people you care about?
1: Who I think it's people that I feel I can be comfortably sarcastic with. I think that another thing I've learned over the years is, I, even my mother told me this, she said that I can be intimidating Um, and part of that, and my ex-husband told me that too. Um, part of that is not like, I'm not a scary person. It's that my brain processes things very quickly and often, for example, in an argument with someone, um, that can come across as, uh, Aggressive is not really the right word, but more like they just can't keep up with that banter, I guess. And I've found that um, if you want to make friends and you need to, uh, that's another thing I had to learn was like, you you need to make friends. It's important to have people that are there to support you and cheer you on. You need your cheering section. and. If you want to make friends, you should start with the same principles of any communication where you start with the common threads and not everybody has the same sense of humor. Not everybody has the same context. So when you are sarcastic with something, it's a lot easier for it to be misinterpreted. And so I would say that like once I get to know people more and we spend some time together and I can kind of gauge what their communication style is as well that's when I'll start to kind of throw it. It's the same goes for swearing. I swear so much. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> like my children are like, mom, <laughs> like, well, <laughs> and I have to learn who that's okay to do that around as well before I can do it. And then part of that is, again, just growing up, you know, being more mature, realizing that Okay, you know, maybe this situation was not the most appropriate to use that language or that joke. (laughs) And, you know, it is what it is now, but we can learn from it, right?
0: (laughs) How do you know if it's okay or not okay to start swearing with somebody?
1: Oh, the easiest indicator is when they do it first. (laughs) Ah, Okay, got it uh i was in a a conversation yesterday and the other person started swearing a lot and i was just like all right this is cool i mean they weren't swearing at me but they were you know (laughs) expressing frustration about something else and i was like all right all right we're on the same wavelength here i got it (laughs) um if they don't do it first you can kind of throw something light out there you know some of the less scary swear words and just kind of see how they react But like I think test the same the ground, goes, right, right. The same thing goes with sarcasm though, right? Like you have to uh kind of feel out their sense of humor first and see like is this okay? Is this okay to say okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, got it. You know, Jamie, I wish to have the a limit to our conversation, but time is a limit. So let's jump to rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. And burger or chicken soup? Uh, chicken soup. Spirited Away or Moana?
1: Ooh, Moana.
0: I will ask you this super hard question that everyone asks. So, first, like, what is your favorite color? It's not that hard. It is hard. Okay, so...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right now, my favorite colors would probably be colors Coral Red, Cobalt Blue, and maybe like an emerald green. I really like jewel tones.
0: And the hardest question is, what is your favorite song? But let's make it easier right now, this week, maybe even this day.
1: Uh, pretty much anything from Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait for it, from Hamilton, I'll pick that
0: one. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have?
1: Oh, I hate that question because I mm. they're all good. Um, teleporting,
0: but you still can have a superpower having all superpowers, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, so... okay, I'll take that one, I'll take <laughs> okay. it. I wish for more wishes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I've, I was always curious, you know, like when somebody goes to you and like you have three wishes, why don't you use like one wish? Like, I wish to have more wishes, so like. Okay. I wish it wishes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you learn from in the community world? Name one person.
1: Ooh, I would say I probably learned the most novel things from Tifoda Oda. Because she just has this amazing head for ops that I think is lacking in the rest of the community world. And I took her workshop at CMX, and it was amazing.
0: <laughs> Name two people who I should definitely have this conversation with, too.
1: Ooh, there's so <laughs> many good ones. Uh... Just uh, on
0: top of your mind, I know there are so many good people.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know who you've who all you've talked to yet. I mean, Tiff, obviously. Cassie Mays is a good one, too. Um, and who else? Who else? Who else? How about Clara Losert? She's, Got it. she's amazing. One of my favorite
0: Is there one question that I definitely should have asked you, but didn't?
1: Hmm. Not that I can think of, this has been very uh, intimate. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've got deep. <laughs> uh,
0: once, Yoker wrote, like, hey, Dr. Yuri, our community psychologist, and it was really very fun. But I, I love this conversation, so thank you very much for giving your time. It was like, like you know, even though, like, I thought that I kind of knew you from your posts and all the stuff, but no, I didn't knew you. Because what you were telling like, opened to me more and more sides of your personality. And I'm super happy that we had this conversation. So thank you very much for sharing all this intimacy, yeah. I would say
1: yeah thank you so much for inviting me this has been great um i think that we need to do a reverse dr Yuri episode where we interview you next and uh, the community gets to learn about you
0: i'm always happy you know i had two of those episodes so it was like first with steve gargillo from cultivators community second was with karen wilson jones so if you ever want to do that just let me know let's do it i'm super happy to talk and Thank you, I'll I'll keep waiting for I will be waiting for an, an invitation from you, and till that time, see you in the community world.